Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So we continue in our series, which we started last week, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, something we've called the good life. And what we said last week is the heavens have been opened. God's life and his rule have been made available to human beings through his son, Jesus Christ. And what it means to come into that good life, it means to come under his rule. So he describes it as a kingdom. And that means when you enter the good life, you enter a kingdom where, there's, where God is king, where he has say over everything in our lives. And when you give him authority and say over your lives, uh, that becomes the only kind of life that can withstand anything in this life. Only can stand up to anything and everything. When you're just not safe in this world without him. Now, as you might imagine, making himself available to human beings, making himself accessible to human beings, arranging for us to receive eternal life was no small thing for God. You disrupt a perfect community of the Trinity. You take on a human body, become part of your own creation. You live among humans, and then you die violently at their hands. Definitely disruptive to God. And overwhelming to us. It literally deconstructed our personally and religiously crafted lives. You think about John 3.16 in that light. God so loved the world that he gave his son. What happens to humans when boundless and perfectly competent love comes upon us, and God's full world is open to us because of his great sacrifice, and we experience him personally. He becomes our father. It's like a divine tsunami washes over us, healing and demolishing. All our spiritual roadblocks, our guard shacks, religious structures, systems, that we had all worked so hard to develop. You gotta, God's just got to clear a path. And his love just clears a path through all of that. How do you announce a message like that? Look what God has done. Heavens are open. And look what's going to happen to us. How do you announce a message like that? Well, uh, This is it. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. There he is, saying the same thing Jesus says a little later. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's the first one to say it. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Clear a path 
Who's announcing this new path? It's John the Baptist. He wore a garment. What's a guy like that got to look like? Who's announcing something like that? He, well, he's got to wear a garment that made of camel hair, a leather belt around his waist. He's got to eat bugs and wild honey. Then all of Jerusalem is all coming out to see him. They were all going to Jerusalem and being baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. And, of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had to show up because they got to see what's going on here. They're the religious people. And John says to them, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, because they were, they were like, hey, this is, this is not the right thing. This is not right. Pharisees and the Sadducees. And John says, I know you guys all think, you, I know what you think. You think because Abraham is your father, uh, you're okay. John says, God is able to make these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So you get this sort of crazy message. Uh, you basically send an up ball to make a message like this. He's eating bugs, he's got sticky fingers and a matted beard because of wild honey. And he's calling people into the wilderness instead of to the temple. Because that's, Jerusalem was the headquarters of religion. The temple was the center. Uh, that's where you would find the right people and the right systems and the right things. And so the religious police showed up to sort of warn everyone and remind everyone the wilderness is not where you go for spiritual life. But he knew what they, he knew what they were thinking. He, were think, he was thinking, they were thinking, we're better than all of these people because of our direct descent from Abraham. They thought they were a unique people, and because of it, they were in. And John says to them, no, God is able to raise up children from the rocks. Probably looked around immediately when he saw them for the most uh, unimpressive material he could find was just a rock laying by the river where he was baptizing people and used a, a, a pun, a visual verbal pun with the word children and, and, and stones. And either, whether he was speaking Hebrew or whether he was speaking Aramaic, it's a pun in both. As if to sort of make light of the difference between a, a child of Abraham and a stone. Um, just meaningless. It has the effect, just so you know, it has the effect of, you know when you say to somebody, children schmildren. Abraham schmabraham. That's the kind of effect it had. That's the, how the crowd would have reacted like you are now. Stone schmoans. It's that kind of a feel is what John the Baptist is saying. It was a rebuke to their self-righteousness because they looked at their relationship with God and spirituality as who they were. It was about them. But grace, according to John the Baptist, grace extends the kingdom borders 
beyond racial and religious frontiers. John is announcing there's a new game in town because Jesus is on the loose in the world. That's the message. You say, how, hey, good question. How far are those borders open? Like, how come you're not going toward Jerusalem and you're heading toward a wilderness? And how far does it extend the kingdom borders? Another question related to that would be, how far will God go to find you, to find anyone? Well, let's look. Right here, still Matthew 4, right before you get to the Beatitudes, Jesus went all through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus is essentially saying to this mass of raw humanity, anyone and everyone, all of you outside of the system, the hopeless, the undesirables. And they all get to sitting in front of them from everywhere. Everyone who had gone the wrong direction, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem to define spiritual life. And everybody's heading this direction, and they come to Christ, and they gather, gather around, and he just sits down, and you go, what are you going to say to this crowd? What are you going to say to that ragtag group? The Beatitudes. Let me tell you what they sound like when you don't read them like the way we know them. Hey, those of you who have no claim, no leg up, your spiritual zeros. Those of you who've experienced gut-wrenching pain. The defenseless. Those of you who ache for justice because you've been wronged maybe many times those of you who've been taken advantage of, those of you who consider continually beat yourself up, those of you who are always in the middle, the dangerous place, those of you, no matter how good you are, you've got to pay a price for it. No good deed. That's who. That's who's sitting out in front of them. Jesus says the kingdom is available to you despite or in spite of your deplorable condition. The Beatitudes describe the condition of people's lives 
conditions we seek to avoid. Nobody wants to be in the place where the Beatitudes are described. You don't wish them upon anyone. And you're not better off because you're in them. The Beatitudes are not teachings about how to be blessed. They're not how-tos. They're general categories that provide proof that the rule of God from the heavens is available to anyone in all circumstances, even those beyond all human hope. They are not spiritual attainments. They don't guarantee acceptance by God. They illustrate how far God will go. That no human condition excludes blessedness or the possibility of blessedness. Because the religious system of Jesus' day left the kind of people out that Jesus was addressing when he was looking at that crowd. And the message in the Beatitudes is simply this. The kingdom is open to everyone. And this is Jesus' way of saying, I mean everyone. Do you remember what they sound like? Probably ought to look at those before I do what I'm about to do to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the beginning and the end. There's eight of them. And in between, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's look at that list. As we uh, say a couple of things about this list and get to where we want to get on this. A lot of people divide these in half, and, and you tend to do that if you don't, Uh, depending on how you look at, you know, if you just see them as a list. Uh, If you view these as steps, and this is the first one and that's the last one, then you'll end up dividing them all kinds of ways. And I think wrongly importing things into these Beatitudes that, uh, that I think do damage to the message. So a lot of folks, and I was, saw that over the last, weeks especially, will take this part here and say, this is how you come to Jesus. This is how you come to Christ. And then this is how you grow. This is what it looks like once you come to Christ. Well, that's what you end up having to do. And you, as soon as you start doing that, you, you ruin these things, in my opinion. You just, it's not healthy. It's not the, I don't think it's healthy. So um, let me say a couple of things about them. That'll help you understand where we're going with this. Uh, These are not steps. First of all, they're statements of fact. They're not commands. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So you're not being asked to do them. 
The second thing about them is they are a package deal. That's the reason I had this up here, is because the first and the last one. The first and the last one, you have the present tense. But all the ones in between, all the other, the six, which is why I put this up here, they're all future. Now, there's an important reason for that. I'm not going to address it this week. It's going to be next week. Uh, so, because of that, they're sort of a, they're a package deal. Uh, they're not seen, and if you break them up, you'll see them. You don't see them as a whole, and I think you need to see them as a whole. So that's the that's a couple of things that I want to share. They're they're also not a progression. You start with one and you, and you grow all the way to eight. That's not what's happening because of that inclusio that I'm describing for you right here. The way they're supposed to be looked at is, sign, is kind of a package. So uh, they're not a progression. Here's another thing that's really important, I think, to understand, is uh, they're not only spiritual. And I'm going to have to prove that to you for you to see it. They're not only spiritual, they're also sociological. So even though Matthew says poor in spirit, he doesn't exclude the poor in that. Because the word poor is used in the Old Testament and New Testament to describe sort of the spiritually and sociologically poor. Okay? You, can be, you can be either, but usually it involves uh, both. So they're spiritual and they're sociological. So Jesus is talking about people in real categories here. Not just think of yourself as poor in spirit. Don't just think of yourself as poor in spirit. I'm talking about the people who are. Which no one would say that's a great place to be. Completely spiritually bankrupt or disadvantaged. Now, you say... All right, give me some more. Well, let me give you some more on that. Uh, look at Luke's version. Luke's, Matthew's version, because he starts with poor in spirit, gets interpreted spiritually all the way through. But if you look at Luke's version, Luke doesn't give poor in spirit. He's talking about the poor. He's talking about the sociological socioeconomic situation, people who are really poor. In fact, Luke uses these words, these kinds of words. The really hungry, the, really, the ones who really weep, the ones who are really hated. And then he uses other sociological categories to describe people and economic. Rich, full, laugh, popular. Those are the words. So you have this idea that Luke, if we put them together... Uh, Matthew sort of puts the spiritual over the sociological, but he includes it. Luke puts the sociological over the spiritual, but he includes it. So you've got a both and going on. Do you understand? Both and going on. It's not just spiritual. It's not just sociological. It's both. Jesus is dealing with real people in real categories. In fact, uh, 
these right here in, in Matthew or in Luke, you really can, in Luke, I'm sorry, here, here, you really can divide because these are the woes. Like, woe. Bless, blessed are the poor and the hungry and the, those who weep and who are hated. Woe, that's judgment on the rich, the full, the, those who laugh and those who are popular. Okay? Uh, so, in Luke's day, in, 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 in Jesus' day, these people would normally be seen as out of the kingdom. And these people would normally be seen as in the kingdom. Because it looks like you've been blessed by God. It looks like you people are well off. You've got a good life. The good life. Is that the good life? Jesus pronouncing woes on the people who think they have a good life. What about all the people who have a bad life? Life isn't going so well for them. So these are the people who are normally uh, blessed by God, or at least appear to be, and these are the people who are not blessed by God. But God is saying these people are blessed, and these people are not. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, let me say something about that. He's not saying that anyone in any of these categories is absolutely in or out. Uh, if you're in this category, you get to go to heaven. Well, that would, all that would mean is the people that are down here just need to put on a sad face. Or they just need to sell everything they have. See the problem with that? So he's not saying that you people are definitely in and all of you people are definitely out. They're not uh, categories of inclusion or exclusion. Well, then we've got to ask, well, what are they? Because don't you guys know, because I know, I know people who are in, in, in heaven, who are in the kingdom of God, who have all these, don't you? And I know people who are in the kingdom of God, in these, or not in the kingdom of God, in these situations. I've been around enough of very, very seriously poor people who don't want anything to do with God. Do you know people like that? So then he's not giving these categories of people who are absolutely and categorically included or excluded. And essentially what he's trying to say, and I'll just put it simple, you're not blessed because of your condition. The poor aren't automatically blessed by God. And the rich aren't automatically hated by God. You're blessed because whatever condition you're in, you've come to rely on Jesus only. That is what makes you blessed. Blessed are the poor. The poor connected to Jesus are blessed. You're not blessed just because you're poor in God's eyes. So in your condition, you come to rely fully on Jesus Christ. Here's what one commentator said. God's blessing is on those who come to him to receive what he generously offers. And that blessing knows no social economic limitation. You can have it all or you can have nothing. 
And so I summarized that with this. I don't ever put my quotes up here. Nothing you lack and nothing you have matters. That's the message of the Beatitudes. Nothing you lack. You say, well, I'm in really bad. It's okay. Kingdom can reach you. Well, I have it. Kingdom can reach you too. You have everything. Kingdom can reach you too. You see how far that spreads the kingdom borders? Literally to every square inch where human life exists. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you depend on me in any circumstance of your life, you'll be blessed. The haves and the have-nots alike. Um, Just as an aside, it just hit me. Um, I know a lot of really messed up rich people whose life I wouldn't want. Don't you read them every day in the tabloid? Don't you read about Hollywood? These, these rich people are insane. You want that? I mean, every once in a while, just stop in your tracks and go, thank God I don't have that. And so when rich people come to Christ, they really have needs to rely on Jesus for, let me tell you. They're not not in need of God. They may be more in need. You say, what does it mean to be blessed? I think the easiest way, the, the, the easiest way to understand it is fortunate. You're fortunate. You're well off. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Um, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are merciful. Blessed. Blessed are all. They're all blessed. Why? You're fortunate and you're well off. That's not how the world would see you. Because they've come to rely on Christ. And nothing ultimately can touch them, even though their circumstances here in the world are very, very poor. Now, let me show you a text that I think supports this, and then I want to apply it to you. Um, let's go right here. This is a little later in Matthew. And John the Baptist, you know, the crazy man who announced this whole thing is in prison. And, uh, and he sends, you know, somebody to Jesus to say, hey, man, I'm having doubts in here. <laughs> I'm struggling, Jesus. Are you really the guy? Are you really the guy that the heavens open and God sent you here to bring all this to people? Jesus hears that. And he loved John, by the way. I mean, Jesus loved John the Baptist. He says, I want you to go and tell John in that cell. What you hear and see. What do you hear and see me doing? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And then look at verse 6. Because here's the, really the essence of how you define what it means to be blessed. In Matthew, same word used in the 
And blessed is the one, anyone, who is not offended by me. And, and this is a, you got to sort of interpret this as who doesn't trip over me, who isn't put off by me, who doesn't reject me. That's the best way to say it. Who doesn't look at me and say, I don't want you. That's who's blessed. You can be in any category. But you're not blessed because you're in the category. You're blessed if in that category, whatever the category is, you now take those circumstances and surrender them to Jesus Christ. That is how you're blessed. Jesus is anyone who will have me is blessed because of their condition. Not, not blessed because of their condition, but because in their condition, they do not reject him. Listen, the poor and the hurting and the miserable can be so mad at God they don't want anything to do with him, and they're offended by him. The rich don't need him. They're arrogant. They can be. And so they don't need God. And so they reject him. They're put off by him. Who needs you? And both groups are really saying, who needs you? Who needs you? Look at my life. Who needs you? Look at my life. The blessed ones are the ones who have literally, whatever circumstances they're in, reassessed everything in their lives and their circumstances in light of who Jesus is. In light of who Jesus is, there, there are not one set of circumstances in here that cannot be completely reevaluated, restructured because of who he is. He can radically change the life of the poor, and he can radically change the life of the rich. So, at the beginning of this sermon, when you look inside the kingdom, when you look inside the kingdom, I want you to imagine that you're over here and you're looking this way at the kingdom. When you look inside it, you see all these kinds of people inside it. You'll see the hungry in there. You'll see the full, the hated, the weepers, the poor, the rich, the wronged, the high strung, the loose. You see all those kinds of people in the kingdom when you look inside it. Now we're going to spend a lot of time. We're going to spend well, a lot of time. We're going to spend the next week talking about uh, what, it, what it looks like to be in, inside the kingdom. You don't just have poor people in the kingdom. You don't just have rich people in the kingdom. What they have in common, what all those people have in common in their circumstances is they depend on him for everything, spiritual and social, spiritual and social economic, spirituality and sociality, sociology, all of it. They depend on him. Well, you say, well, if you're not saying that I have to be these things, 
how do I apply them to my life? Like, how do we apply them as we begin this Sermon on the Mount here? Well, uh, this is important. This is very critical, how we answer this question. Um, Because everything that the rest of the sermon is going to describe about kingdom life only makes sense if you understand the Beatitudes. And by the way, there are two hang-ups when you get to the Sermon on the Mount, two difficult things to interpret. One of them is the Beatitudes like we just did. I spent the majority of the last nine months being able to give you that part of the sermon that I just gave you. It was very, very difficult to interpret how to interpret the Beatitudes because there's about 70 different ways you can do it. The second one comes a few paragraphs later. We'll get to that. I won't even bother you with it right now. We'll get to it. This is the critical one. Because everything will make sense in the sermon if you understand it and easier easier to do. Have you ever looked at the Sermon on the Mount? We're going to talk about this a little bit later too, about how, how hard it seems to be what Jesus is. It's a lot easier if you understand the Beatitudes. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, when Jesus says, don't judge, don't you think that's easier if you understand who gets into the kingdom in the first place? Like nobody gets in on their own merit. We're all misfits, rich or poor. See, once you realize, you, once you... <laughs> are amazed that you got in the kingdom from whatever situation in life you were, sociologically or spiritually. It's a whole lot easier uh, not to judge people. But if somehow you get into that kingdom and become a big shot, look at me and look at you. Look at you. Then you missed it. You got to go back. You got to go back and start over to the Beatitudes and go, look how far Jesus extended the borders. It's a good thing he did or I'd have never made it in. It's a good thing he did or I would have missed the cut. That's how I felt when my, when my neighborhood built that high school right in my backyard. And they drew that line. My kids still had to drive 10 miles to a high school, even though it was a high school in my backyard. Left us out. And you're like, who drew the line there? I need to see that guy right now. That's how you'd be with God. Who drew that line right there? Jesus takes all those lines away. So you have easy access. So, let's apply it. Let's apply it. So whatever your circumstances are, and by the way, um, I don't, I don't, we're we're going to look at the Beatitudes. I'm going to divide them in half. I'm not going to go through each one. I'm going to take the first half and the second half and just sort of look at them and see, see what it looks like when we're all mixed together in the kingdom. What does it look like to live in the kingdom no matter what circumstances you're in? And by the way, you're in one of them. So what does it look like that we all live together in the kingdom? That question has to be answered, I think, before we go any, any further into the sermon, but we'll do that. But for right now, let's just say this. 
How do we apply those Beatitudes to our life right now? Like right now? Um, well, a couple of things. You have to believe it about yourselves and about others. You have to believe what Jesus is saying about the borders are extended about yourself and others. Uh, your life circumstances and your spirituality, your sociological, socioeconomic, and your spiritual life. Whatever circumstances you're in. So let's start with yourself. How, does, how do the Beatitudes impact you personally? Well, whatever circumstances you're in, here's the thing. You can turn to Jesus and find blessing. You can find the good life. You can find eternal life. You can find hope, and you can find peace. Whatever life circumstances you're in, listen. You're never too far gone. You've never been through too much. I've had people tell me, I've been through too much, man. Seen too much. Nope. The kingdom extends to you. Or maybe you have too much. I have way too much. Or you have too little. Or you consider yourself a lost cause, or you say, I'm really way too stubborn. God wouldn't want me. I'm way too selfish. I'm way too self-destructive. Uh, I'm, always, I'm just confused about it all, or I've been hurt, or I'm angry, I'm wronged, or you might say, I'm screwed. My life is screwed. You're not too far, You're not too far for him to reach. You could be the victim, or you could be the perpetrator. Well, I'm the one who did it. You're included. You can be included. Well, it happened to me. You can be included. That's what the Beatitudes say. So that can be your, just your social condition. What about your spiritual circumstances? You say, well, you know, I don't really know anything about God. I'm kind of clueless. I... I don't know one thing about the Bible. I don't know how to pray. I, I, nothing comes to my mind. This is the poor in spirit guy. I, I literally have nothing spiritually. I remember I told you in my testimony when my father entered that rehab. It was a Christian rehab. We didn't know what Christian meant as a family. I often say when I give my story, I didn't say it a couple weeks ago, but I think to myself, God had no business in our family. <laughs> there was nothing like, oh, I got to make sure I show up at the Geofalos because uh, I think they're starting to pray. No, that wasn't it. We were highly drugged. Uh, we were messed up, people, badly. There was nothing attractive to God about our, about the way we were living. Like, oh, I got to get over there to the Giovanni house. No, 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 no. When he barged in, it was like, what are you doing here? That's literally how it felt. Uh, you're at the wrong house. That's how it feels to people spiritually sometimes. Or maybe you're one of those ones who've heard it all. You grew up in a Christian home. I hear this testimony a lot. Grew up in a Christian home, and nobody was perfect, and, and it just warped me, and, and, and I know it all. I, can, I, I know it all. I know what the Bible says. I quote verses. I do this. I do that. I, I have it all. You can have all of that and still not have a personal connection to God. 
and you don't know them at all. Uh, these are genuine obstacles to faith. People literally... The Beatitudes remove them all. I don't care what your excuse is. The Beatitudes erase them. And you also, so you got to believe that about yourself, and you can't ever forget it either. You always have to say, God had no business showing up at my door, including me and the If you have that spirit going in to the Sermon on the Mount, then it, then it makes sense, a lot of what's being said. And something else gets a little easier when you get in there. You don't get in there and get snotty. Sometimes people get into the kingdom and they get really snotty. Remember this? We all did it as a kid. That's when we were our snottiest. No adult has ever been snottier than a little kid going like that. Look at me, and look at poor you. It was that move. So how you see other people now is radically changed. How you see yourself, all your excuses out the window. And then how you see other people with their problems. Oh, and don't we love to do that? Oh, you know you love to do that. Even if you hate to admit it, you know you love to do it. Thank God they exist because I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> Haven't you done that politically? Haven't politically you gone, oh my gosh, I can't believe dumb people like that exist in the world. <laughs> You've said it, whatever your political position is. Oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. It's that ah oh, feeling, which is basically the adult. That's all it is. It's the adult version of that. And so what the, what the Beatitudes do for us today is not only remove all of our excuses, they also remind us, for those of us who are in the kingdom, that the good, this, this is good news, that we have hope, that the gospel gives hope. It should make us bold. It should make us want to share it. It should make us excited to share it. It should keep our, our hearts open and our hopes up about humanity and people because no one is unreachable. When was the last time you said that to yourself? Not only am I unreach was I unreachable, everyone else is reachable by God. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? God is able to raise up stones to be children. God can do it. He can save the rich. He can save the poor alike. So let me ask you, who's unreachable to you? Now that you're in the kingdom. Who's unreachable to you? Mr. and Mrs. Snotty? Is it certain cities? Like we could categorize a whole city. What do you think of when you think of South Lake? Yeah, that hurt, didn't it? Yeah, that'll be the lunch conversation right there. It'll all be around Southlake. Uh-huh. 
What do you think of when you think of countries like India? Poor folks. They're too far gone. Can't do anything for them. How about states? You know which one I'm thinking of right now, don't you? I know you do. I'm not even going to say it because I know which one you know. Because you know which one I'm thinking of. California, I'm going to say. <laughs> what do you think of California? You think, how many times have you said, yeah, I just wish that thing would just disconnect from the country and float? Yeah, I know. This is how we think of. This is how we think of people. People who live in the kingdom don't think like that. Because they, they always know. I was, I was the guy in India. I was the guy in California. I was the guy in Southlake. Where, where do you want God to draw the boundary line? The Beatitudes say God has no boundary lines. But we're growing accustomed to making them ourselves. We run into the kingdom, and then we just start drawing our own lines. Hey, let's have a meeting. Let's have a meeting meeting. We're going to draw a line right here. Southlake's out. Southlake is out of the kingdom. Oh, California, it was gone a long time ago, buddy. You knew? You must be new. <laughs> or you, you, maybe it's the homosexuals and the transgenders. People who watch Fox or CNN. <laughs> Whichever one, you, you know. Eagles fans. <laughs> I mean, they're gone. I mean, we drew them out. It could be the old, it could be the young, it could be the heavy, it could be the skinny, it could be the small, it could be the big. We all are drawn lines all the time. The incarcerated, the ugly, the brutal, the perverted, the filthy, the filthy rich. Somebody who wronged you, people who drive in the slow, fast, or slow in the fast lane. Oh, yeah, I've drawn them out many times. I've had erased that when I got home. The vaccinated or the unvaccinated? How many lines do you draw every day? We're drawing lines all day long. Ones that God has erased. You're living in his kingdom, drawing boundary lines. That's what makes us so terribly difficult to be related to in this world. That's not the salt and light God intended. Do you talk about people or treat people like they're unreachable? Because everybody in the kingdom knows nothing about them had anything to do with the fact that they're in. Just reliance and confidence in Jesus. So how do you apply the Beatitudes? Let me give you two simple summaries right here. If there's anything in your life that you're using as an excuse... For not giving your life to Christ, not putting your faith in Christ, then here's the thing. You do not understand the Beatitudes, nor the heart of God. And if there's anything in someone else's life that makes you consider them or treat them as unreachable, you do not understand the Beatitudes, nor the heart of God. you got to get this straight before you go into the rest of the sermon.
Why don't you bow our heads? Father, it seems the longer we live on this planet, the harder it is to believe the Beatitudes. The harder it is to believe that you have no borders, that your kingdom has no borders. Because the Beatitudes wiped them out and extended grace to every place humans exist. And all we want to do is say, there was no way we'd have been allowed in if you didn't do that. Your grace extends to every one of us. Remind us of that. And if there's anyone in here, Lord, who's been using something as a reason why they can't come to you, drawing borders for themselves that you've erased. Father, your love is not easy to receive. From some, Sometimes it's really hard to receive. It's just too overwhelming. Remove the borders for both groups in here, Lord. Lines we draw, not you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.